What's up, everybody? I um, wanted to give a quick rundown on this week's uh, podcast. My um, guest this week is uh, Josh Schroeder, owner of uh, Random Awesome Studios. Um, Josh and I have known each other for a little over a decade now. Um, intermittently uh, run into each other, though, at shows and, and whatnot. Uh, Josh lives uh, a few, quite a few hours away from me here in GR. Um, and as you'll hear on the podcast, is kind of a bit of a recluse between... Uh, his recording schedule and uh, <clears throat> just not really liking to be bothered by people. <laughs> um, so it was kind of awesome to get Josh uh, on this podcast to discuss a little bit about his uh, production career and the bands that he's worked with. Um, more notably, uh, King in Heart's Wake, uh, Color Morale, uh, Plea for Purging, um, even done some stuff with uh, local bands from here in Michigan, uh, most recently like Heartsick. Um, and stuff like that. We uh, discuss a little bit of wrestling stuff. Uh, it's another thing that we both uh, have in common and, and really enjoy uh, as two grown 30-something-year-old men typically like to do. Um, so it was cool to get Josh on here and just kind of shoot the shit for about an hour, um, kind of discussing a lot of different things. Um, I think he's someone who has a lot to, to offer people and, and a very interesting person who uh, is very well articulated and, and just, you know, and just typically someone that uh, I like to surround myself with, with individuals who are uh, goal-oriented and self-motivating and uh, all that kind of stuff. And Josh definitely checks all those categories off and uh, is just a, a really nice person and uh, very giving with his time. And I uh, really appreciate uh, the time he took with me to do this podcast. So without further ado, here's my sit-down with Josh. like which is stupid because i don't really see where that's going either i don't know yeah, I, as a whole like it's funny as i get older now and watching wrestling like because the first thing that everyone likes to do is bitch about well you know wrestling's fake right it's like yeah no fucking shit it's fake but the thing that uh i i tend to find now is like if it's stories like i if there's just nowhere for it to go like I thought the fact that Braun Strowman looks strong even in getting eliminated uh, helps him because everyone knows that he's really fucking green and probably doesn't really know how to do a whole lot. I feel like he is Goldberg right. from 20 years ago, where if you get him in a match longer than, like, five minutes, he's fucked. 
uh, as far as like just being able to piece together moves yeah. and chain wrestling and such. But I think all things considered, they made him look strong. Him losing and going out when he did didn't really hurt him. Uh, Jericho being in like he was, although my wife was even bitching that he wasn't even in the Rumble for technically as long as he was since he was just That's hanging true. out. I forgot outside. he was in it. I was like, well, whatever. I yeah. forgot, yeah, he won the, yeah, he got the, the highest time. He broke the record or something. Yeah, he was in for 61 minutes, and for, I think, accumulatively, he was in for, like, five hours and something like that. So, I mean, in that regard, it's kind of cool that he, you know, he's getting a, a good run in this. I mean, I don't know if this will be the last run he does ever, but, I mean, at least, like, they're letting him <coughs> kind of do what he likes to do and get over and be a bad guy and the whole thing with him and uh um him and uh kevin owens has been great um mm-hmm. i mean it's like for as much brilliance as has been going on i also feel like it's been kind of shitty <laughs> as a whole like the product but uh i mean yeah yeah it's definitely it's like the actual wrestling matches i feel like are at a high whereas like the storytelling i think because with Roman, some of the best stuff that was going on is when he got suspended and he was out for like a month during the whatever the um, violation, the, the wellness policy violation thing. Yeah. Um, because there was no, you know what I mean? Like they had to run with it. You know what I mean? Everything wasn't built up around him. And I think he's, I think he's okay. I think he's fine. He's had some really good matches with AJ, and he's, he's an okay wrestler and stuff. But his promo work sucks. It just, it's just, it's just so. I hate using the word cringe, but it's just like that's one of those words that comes to mind when I, anytime I hear him do a promo, besides something that's you know shorter than five words, then it's okay. But that's a problem if that's going to be your top guy and you can't cut a promo. That's always been a problem, you know, with uh, with longevity. That's why Hogan or Rock or Austin, any of those big guys got over you or Cena. It's because they're really good on a promo, and he just sucks. On a I'm promo. just wondering how much of it is actually Roman not being good at cutting promos, or not being good at giving scripted promos that he has to try to force out of himself. Yeah, the writing's bad. The writing's definitely bad, and he's bad <laughs> at delivering. Bad, he's bad at delivering bad writing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, there's <laughs> some actors that you can give them a shit script, and they really run with it. And it sounds great, and they can make it sound cool. But he's not that guy. He's not the guy for for that uh, type of job. Um, but it's it's one of those things. I wish, um, I you know, like a lot of people have said, and you know, when you look at The Rock's career, and you saw him with Nation of Domination, get or no, no, before that, actually, when he was trying to be pushed as Rocky Maivia, it's like the same thing. People hated him. He sucked. Yeah. It was just lame. And but they let it, they let him go heel quickly because he was frustrated, and they just didn't have a choice because WCW was whooping their ass. So um, I think that's a natural process that Roman has to go through before he really. I think he could be big maybe someday, but he has to go through that process and learn how to cut a promo. And I think taking out his frustrations on the fans, you know what I mean, and letting him loose a little bit on the mic would go a long ways to learning how to be better on the mic. Yeah. As opposed to just like trying to shittily act shitty scripts. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're not going to get anywhere with that. I've often wondered for for a lot of us who are into into music and in bands, uh, and I guess this is kind of how we can we can really start the podcast, really. Yeah. You talk about someone being, you know, Rocky Maivia back when he was Rocky Maivia instead of The Rock. Roman yeah. Reigns, uh, you know, now. You know, they're kind of at a point where they're younger and kind of green as a whole, like in a lot of stuff. You know, maybe they have the raw talent, but they just haven't kind of harnessed it all and, and shaped it. 
Yeah. I often wonder for those of us who are into wrestling and really into music, how much of a correlation really is there between, you know, being able to see someone who's got that raw talent. I mean, because you, I feel like you do it with your, uh, with your your uh, talent search of sorts. Like you're you're kind of finding bands that maybe aren't as polished as some of the bands you you typically work with, but you're able to see through that and kind of help them and kind of mold them into what they want to be and kind of help them as your role as a producer. So I mean, yeah. Do you that do you kind of do you, paramount. do you kind of feel like you look at wrestling maybe from a, a completely different perspective because you you can kind of see that and with what you do with working with bands? Um yeah, I mean, that's that's an interesting way of putting it. I think um I think pro wrestling and uh and music have a lot in common. It's it's, it's entertainment. It's, yeah, it's entertainment and it's uh, any good entertainment is essentially pulling a trick on the audience. And um, wrestling, you know what I mean, can be, some people find it hard to swallow because it does ride two lines. It rides the line of athletics on one side and then also rides the line of theater on the other side. So when it dips in two, you know what I mean, like it's like people compare it to sports, which it is, but it isn't. It's really its own thing. It's very unique and that's why I've always been drawn to it because there's really nothing else like it. You know what I mean, like movies, there's a million movies and there's a million different types of movies, different studios and directors and actors. They're really, wrestling is like, well, there's a WWE, there's a few federations, but not that many. And they um, all do something different, too, if you're talking about, like, New Japan or uh, Ring of Honor or anything like that. Yeah, 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 Lucha, was it Lucha Underground? Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a bunch of them. But, and, uh, what was it gonna go, where was it going with this? Um, good wrestling and good music are very similar things, like, or really good entertainment. You know it's fake, but you <laughs> still watch it because it suspends a disbelief. It creates a fantasy. You know, just like a good band to me, and this is something I talk with a lot of bands about, is trying to um, really unify everything. Your look, the sound, everything needs to come together. Just like a good wrestler, like I said, if with Roman Reigns, he's a good wrestler. I think I think his matches are fine. He's, he's got, got a good look. Finisher. Yeah, he's got a great look. Great look. I mean, that's that's really a big part of it. You know what I mean? That's a big part with bands, too. Something that, you know, I've uh, you know come to realize over the years that it's actually a huge thing. Um, and with acting as well. Uh, but uh, the whole you know thing needs to tie together. Uh, Roman's got a good look. Uh, I think he's he sells really well, even though they write him, they book him to be invincible, which is stupid. <laughs> but uh, he's good. He's good. I mean, a lot of the stuff. I think I don't think is his fault. But th- the way it relates to music is when you see cracks and your beliefs are suspended. That's when you're that's when you're not really doing what you should be doing as an artist. When it's there's a classic saying that says, um, I think it's a theater line where if you notice the uh, seams in my wardrobe, I'm not doing my job as an actor. And you know what I mean? So well, what that is with Roman is is the bad promo. You know what I mean? That's, that's the seams that people are noticing. So that needs to be better. Either it needs to be better or he just needs to do less lines. If his weakness is his promo, don't give him a lot of lines. You know what I mean? Wait until he can actually deliver them. Or make him a heel because then you can actually take off frustration. It can be genuine. Um, and the same thing with bands. Like, well, what are your weak points? You know what I mean? Like uh, with King, for example, David's not a crazy singer. He's not going to sing, you know, Chris Cornell notes. Uh, so we don't go there. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's no point going there because that's just, that's not a strength. So, uh, um, and a lot of bands they're fans of other forms of music and other bands and then they try to go for it but it's just like man you haven't been practicing that the way this other band has been since they were kids so that's not your strength you know what i mean that's something i always look for when a band contacts me about doing a record it's like what are the what are the strengths 
um, what really stands out as something individual? How can we make that better? Because that's, you know, individuality and identity is, you know, one of the biggest things you can have really as any entertainer, as a musician, as a wrestler. Um, you know what I mean? It's like you look back at like Stone Cold and his career, man, he's been he at it for like decades or you know, a long, or at least a decade before he really got over. Yeah, he was uh, part of the fabulous yeah, ringmaster and yeah. Hollywood Blondes. He started get, but then again, there's management issues and stuff. But you know, what I mean, once the Stone Cold gimmick hit, it worked really well. It just it was just a natural thing. It was what he was good at. You know what I mean? Like these other gimmicks, like the ringmaster. That's like you know, what I mean, that's like David Gunn trying to sing in a scene band with like high falsetto. That like, just doesn't work. That's not the right thing. You know what I mean? You have to find the right uh, fit and work with your strengths as opposed to trying to be something that you're not. Um, speaking kind of, actually, you kind of mentioned David already a couple of times, and something I kind of wanted to bring up with you working with King, and kind of actually, um, kind of paralleling, uh, wrestling a little bit more, and I'm gonna say this, and I know it's gonna sound shitty in how I say it, but it's it's mm-hmm. not meant to be, <clears throat> with them, you know, we're, we're talking about <clears throat> a complete package, and what makes, you know, wrestling and, and bands kind of... Uh, marketable and, and kind of having that whole thing, whether it be the sound, the look, the everything. And I think definitely with with you working with King, um, it's kind of taken that band to the next level. Whether it would have happened without you or not is to to be you know it's, we're not we're not going to know that. Um, but with that being said, I think a lot of people focus on initially the look of the band and the presentation of the visuals that the band puts out and don't really necessarily take the take the music in as much as they take what they're seeing. Um, yeah. So when you work with a band like that, how hard is it to, with a band that's very focused on visuals as well as the, the music, how hard is, is it for you as a producer to really kind of, like, do you guys think about the visuals to go along with music? Like, hey, like, when you're performing this or when if, you know, we're doing a video and, like, these parts could be cool or whatever, like, are you thinking visually as well? Or do you try to just focus mainly on what you can do in a studio with the music and, and making that the best it can be so it stands on its own? Um, I mean, it's a lot of different things. Just like their music is really varied. Um, a lot of the inspiration comes from a lot of different places. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. They're definitely, uh, definitely one of my favorites to work with. Um, just because of the challenges, there's always a new challenge, there's always inspiration coming from a new place. Um, a lot of bands fall into the trap of, this band is doing this, let's just copy that, you know what I mean? It's it's fans with instruments. Um, and that's fine, you know, we <laughs> all start as fan. That's an interesting way of putting um, it, fans with instruments. Yeah, that's, re- that's really what a lot of bands are when it comes down to it, I mean, which is fine, like I said, it's fine, but you're not really offering anything interesting or unique well maybe something is relative but it's not really unique it, it can't be because at that point you don't have an identity as an individual artist you know what I'm saying so and and this is um, I suppose it's a bit of a problem with um, as recording becomes easier and easier fan the, the, the path from fan to instrument to album is a lot shorter it's a lot easier to put out an album when you're just a fan you know what I mean? Like, whereas back in the day, obviously, just the logistics and the physicality of doing a record was a lot harder, so it just it would take longer. So now you have a fan of a band, they go to Guitar Center, they buy an instrument, and within six months, they put out a record. 
Um, and, so, and that can be good. That can actually be sometimes the inspiration hits and, and, and just through the uniqueness of your character, it just goes through this filter. It's like, you know, like Jimi Hendrix or somebody that just like, you know, they just have an intrinsic character about them that anything that they play, you can tell it's influenced by, but it's just, there's no way that it's anything else but Jimmy. Um, so, so that's an interesting thing. Um, yeah, but anyhow, this goes back to identity and, um, and I guess your original question about where does you know where does the uh, what's all thought about in the process? Um, yeah, because their influences come from a lot of different places. Like King doesn't really listen to heavy music. They really haven't listened to heavy music, as far as I know, for the last <laughs> five years. They just don't really care for heavy music. They're good at it, and I think they do it well. But their inspiration for even for the heavy stuff they write doesn't come from heavy places. It really comes from uh, movies. It comes from hip hop. It comes from you know, it could come from a lot books, a lot of different places. I think that's why it is so unique because it doesn't come from a place of, oh, I just like corn, so I'm just going to play corn songs that sound like corn. That's really not their intent. I mean, there are some influences there for sure, and I'm sure people can pick that out. But um, it definitely hasn't been that way in a long, long time. Um, but it is, it is fun. It's fun thinking about oh, different ways to shape different songs. Um, rather than just like, oh, this heavy band is doing well, so let's just try to make our stuff sound like them, because that's the safe thing to do, um, and they're obviously anything but safe. So it's yeah, it's always exciting. Um, just trying to think of a better way to answer that question about. <laughs> Sorry. No, no, I'll get on and I'll ramble, and I guess that's the point of the podcast. Um, trying to think of what other. Yeah, I mean, we'll sit down. Like, uh, I mean, they were here yesterday. I guess that's why they're kind of on my mind. They were here yesterday. And we're just talking about some other things, you know, that the band wants to do. And there are plenty of studio days where we don't record anything. We just talk about ideas and how to put things together uh, rather than just grabbing a guitar and just starting to jam around, which can be fine, but uh, David hates that. <laughs> he really hates when, when, you know what I mean, just, just going to a guitar and jamming something out. He likes to really plan it out in advance. Like, what is the point of this guitar riff? What is, you know, what is it actually doing in the song? You know, very organized, very methodical about everything and anything. There's nothing that happens by accident with their stuff. So, working on a King record definitely takes longer. It's you know, it's much more thought out than pretty much any other record I work on, just because that's the way you know the band operates, which is cool and it's, it's fun. It's you know, it's and there's some other bands that I've worked with where, uh, like Ghostbath, we did an album in three days, or Hester Pran, we think we did one in two days. <laughs> it's like the total. It's just like pure instinct you just run head on into it and you work like 18 hour days and just get it done um no sorry sorry to cut you off i know i just kind of thought of something i you speak of two different bands kind of recording very quickly and then working with a band like king that you know everything is very methodical and thought of and everything has its place for a specific reason Mm -hmm. yeah you as the producer do you tend to find that working with a band like king that you know will put that much Forethought into something before they ever pick up an instrument and ever hit you know have ever hit have you hit record. Do you does it? And I guess I should preface by saying I understand as a producer you shouldn't take anything from any like you shouldn't necessarily put any of the other baggage or any of the other shit that you've been doing with another band onto another band because they're not that band and it kind of maybe changes you know what they're doing or what can happen for them when you know they're, they're recording. But do you end up kind of? changing your approach or has it made you look at things like maybe being like 
man, maybe I don't need to do all this other shit. Like, maybe I really should just, like, sit with these guys and really focus on, you know, doing as much thinking ahead of time, and I, or I guess pre-production, for lack of a better term, uh, yeah. to, to where you're not just throwing shit in there because it's filling out a sound and you have to have ten songs to fill out this fucking record. Like, make it all right, mean right. something. Like, and honestly, you know, and I'm kind of jumping ahead of something I wanted to say to you anyway, but... In going through a lot of the records you've done, um, I always feel like the records you've been doing since you kind of hit a certain, like, since you stopped kind of doing local bands um, and kind of were doing more uh, production with, like, bands like The Color Morale or A Plea for Purging or In Hearts Wake or something like that, you definitely seem to be, from my perspective, uh, known for working on something that has a, a, a feel where you can feel the record has an importance to it like there's there's something bigger going on within what's being played what's being what's being said just everything about what you're doing in that recording session and i don't know how much of that is 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 you specifically kind of getting that out of people or you know maybe you doing something like where you're working with a king you know and it makes you approach things differently because once you work with a band like that and kind of see how things can be and, and, and whatever, it kind of influences the other things you're doing. And again, yeah, that's yeah. just my perspective. I don't know if any of that's true. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, so, yeah, so I guess your question being, you know what I mean, like, how do you, you know what I mean, what's, what is the approach? Um, and obviously, you know, I have my personal influences and uh, I try desperately to not treat every band, you know what I mean? Like the worst thing to me is when a producer treats a band like it's a factory where everything just goes through the same, you know, and you know that, you know, you can tell the producers, you don't have to be an expert, you can tell the ones that that have it down to a science in that they can get it in, done, go through the usual stuff, and it sounds fine, but it doesn't sound very tailored, and that's something I always try to do is, is tailor it to what is the band trying to do, what's the message they're trying to get across, what are their strengths, what works for the band, because like I said, like King being one of the more, probably the most methodical uh, band that I've worked with, and other bands more quickly bang, bang, knock it out, and there's no there's no wrong answer because it's, I mean, it's art. I mean, so some bands might just like that, you know, rough around the edges kind of smash approach where you just bang out an album, or maybe they've done a lot of the preparation in advance, Whereas like um, with King, we've developed a relationship over the years and, you know, I like to, you know, at this point we write a lot together. So there's a lot of writing that we'll do together where some bands they'll bring in their material and it's pretty much done. And um, uh, a saying that I always like to live by is a good producer knows when, to, when a band needs help and a great producer knows when a band doesn't need help. So, and that's a big thing because if I overstep my bounds and I say, oh yeah, yeah, you guys should be doing this or this or this, when they're already doing something that's kind of cool and unique, even though like some people might say, oh, that's wrong, you shouldn't be playing this chord going to this because technically that's wrong. It's just like, no, man, if it sounds cool, whatever, even if it doesn't sound right, if it works with the song in the right way, um, it's, it's a tricky thing and it really just comes down to experience, like you said, like working with a lot of these bands like In Hearts Wake or Call Morale or even local bands that anybody that I work with, I always try to like learn something, you know what I mean? Like the thing with, with production and working on music, it's people think it's listening to the music, I listen to music over and over again. For me, it's like, yeah, sure, but we're listening to the people that are making the music and understanding where they're coming from, what they're trying to do with it 
and understand, you know, just understanding you as a person and what is your perspective and try to bring that out. Okay, what is your perspective as a guitarist? We'll talk a lot with, you know, with bands and stuff and, you know, try to figure out what their influences are. Where where does this person's love for this particular guitar tone come from? Okay, cool. So you like, obviously like this or this and try to bring out some of that stuff, harken back maybe a little bit to some influence that you had when you were a kid or whatever. Um, but also, you know, bring out something more. Oh, he does this little weird thing on the guitar, but he tries to hide it because he thinks it's a bad thing. No, man, that little slide's cool because that's you. You know what I mean? Bring that out. So it's it's a tricky balance between figuring out what are flaws, like flaws, bad flaws, and what are actually cool flaws and make it, you know, interesting because um, for me, I don't listen to a whole lot of modern metal either. I think a lot of it is scared, which is, <laughs> it's kind of funny the way I view a lot of modern metal is it's kind of scared and it's kind of conservative, which is kind of to me the exact opposite of what heavy music should be. It should be um, fun. It should be rough around the edges. It should be scary at times too, and that's why I've always been drawn to King um, because they have that edge to them that nobody else has really had in the last decade. <laughs> really, honestly, um, it's funny. I and, remember uh, seeing. That's cool. I was gonna say I remember seeing that band with you uh, at <laughs> yeah. Fest, and that was the first time I had seen them. And shit, that was over a decade ago now? Yeah, yeah, that was a while ago. Yeah, and I just remember they didn't play very long because they got shut down. <laughs> they got shut down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And they threw watermelon and parts of deer carcass or whatever at the crowd and kicked off one of the uh, stage monitors or whatever. And I turned around and was like, holy shit. And you were just like, oh, their show's over? Eh, it's typical. And then, like, like yeah, it was I nothing mean, to you, and I was like, "Oh, okay." I see it a few <laughs> times. I was just bummed. I was just bummed out because I knew that I knew that there was something else going on there that wasn't a typical show for them. I mean, it was and it wasn't <laughs> during that time. Um, yeah, shit would get out of control. It was cool. It was just. Um, it's obviously something that they moved on from. That's yeah. not who they are anymore. Um, but to be somebody that's that crazy to do some of the shit that they used to do <laughs> and uh it speaks about the character and where they're from and stuff like that i was always very intrigued um by the band and i knew some of the guys i knew gene back then and i knew um andy a little bit um so you know I, you know obviously i knew they were from flint i knew what kind of upbringing they had and stuff so so it it, it uh it was exciting and it was you know cool but it wasn't terribly surprising like that i'd kind of seen it happen over the years but, um, yeah, it's been an interesting last decade, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Do you feel, and I, I guess I really didn't even let you finish the last question I asked, per se. Yeah. Uh, with this band, because I feel like with, with what you've been doing with King, and, and honestly, like, what you've been doing with, with a lot of the records you do, and I know this is, I know this is a, probably an influence of yours as a producer and probably as a musician as a whole, but I feel like a lot of what you're able to get out of out of the bands that you work with is very akin to what Ross Robinson did, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago with bands like, you yeah. know, Corn and stuff like that. Like tapping into, you know, I don't know if it's the psyche per se, but just being able to pull something out of these bands that nobody else seems to or wants to. I, I don't know if maybe that's it. Like you just I have think- to... I think I think a lot of engineers and producers kind of get lost in a lot of different things. There's a, there's a lot of details to worry about when you make a record. Mic placement, EQ, rack gear, um, tunings, the type of guitars you're using, the type of heads. There's a lot of 
details. And it's easy to get lost in that when you're chasing mixes and stuff, when you're chasing trying to get a really good tone. And, um, and I love all that stuff. I really find it all interesting. But at the end of the day, to me, um, the vocal, trying to figure out ways to bring out the most character of the voice, because that's, that's the most um, signature instrument. It's, it is the only human instrument. Everything else gets channeled through strings or a resonating drum head or drumsticks or guitar, which is all an extension, but it's really the only self-contained voice. It's, it's, it's purely human instrument. Um, so it's the one that we all connect to. It doesn't matter the genre. If you are, if you're not an instrumental band, your most important instrument is typically the vocals. Uh, doesn't matter the genre you're in. So that's something I've always focused on, and I've leaned more and more to cinematic albums over the years, uh, just because I like I like being influenced. I like taking influence and inspiration from things that aren't even music, like you know, with movies and stuff. And that's something um, with with Sleeper Purging, for example, you know doing that album and doing the way it um, flowed was something that I was really keen on. I'd done a few before then, but that was the one where the band from the get-go I know was also very interested in doing it. So so giving it a kind of a non-stop flow experience to it, just it, it makes the whole album feel like one thing as opposed to just like 10 songs here, 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 you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like it's more like a movie where it's like you take a scene out of a movie it, it makes can be no cool, sense. but you're missing the, the before and after. You you want to know where it came from. You want to know where it's going. So, if you can do that with songs, keep them self-contained to you know for the most part, but also make it feel like it's part of a whole. That's always something I've been interested in. Um, but yeah, cinematics and it comes down to like the movie analogy. I, I like to make a lot of movie analogies when I work with bands. So, I I try to think about I try to you know work with the band. Say you know I mean your lyrics are kind of like your script. And your lead singer is like your lead actor, and all the instruments. That's like supporting. It's it's a combination of supporting cast and backdrops and effects and all these other things. And what can you do with all these tools to tell an interesting story? Because that's what music is. At the end of the day, it's kind of been a storytelling device that we've had since we can. You know, I mean, for the, really the first way we used to record events and you know history and stuff. So it's intrinsically human to tell a story through music. And I like to bring it back down to those roots. And I think, I mean, I think that's why the Calmer Al record that we did was really cool because Garrett was going through some really tough times. And, um, and that was a really important thing to bring out in the music is his, vo his voice. And he's one of those guys who's got a lot of talent. And in my opinion, he tends to over sing a lot of stuff. And that's, <laughs> it's a hard thing to do when you're, when you're really good you want to drift all and I try to have him simplify it at times just so that the message wasn't lost you know because I think like I said he was going through a rough time and the lyrics he, were, he was writing at that time were super super genuine it was just like he'd had it the band was kind of like petering out a little bit at the time and I remember hearing um, uh, my dad wasn't my devil in your eyes and uh, I thought man this guy's got so much potential he's a really really good vocalist he oversings a bit I just want him to simplify it a little bit so that his lyrics, because his lyrics are great, and I feel like he was singing so much and so all over the place that the actual lyrics are getting lost a little bit. And he also worked on changing his screaming voice because he used to do the super low stuff that screw up his singing, and it was very disjointed. It didn't sound like the same person, whereas like now his screaming style, which he developed while we were recording, I remember we recorded a few songs in that old school lower style that he used to do, and he came in one day, he's just like, man, I, I wanna try something. I remember hearing him like, ooh, that's really different. 
Uh, well, let's just run with it. <laughs> let's just run with it and see. see and it, was, it was obviously the right move. Um, and uh, but anyhow, it sounds more unified. Like his screaming and his singing now sounds like the same person. Whereas before, when you listen to old stuff, it sounds like guest vocals or something. Doesn't sound like the same dude singing and screaming. It's kind of weird. Like I, I never was really. It's actually. I don't know if it's because of my relationship, knowing having known you over the last so many years of you being in Besieged, uh, which is probably one of my favorite local bands ever, other than the band's <laughs> shirt right behind me here, Camilla. That was my other one. I'll see it. Um, but it's one of those things where there are a lot of bands that you've worked with where they've obviously had a name for a while, uh, local or otherwise. Yeah. And I don't know if... I think it's just a prejudice I have where I'll I'll be willing to give a band a, a shake more if I know you've worked with them where I'm like, all right, like, let's see what Josh did on this. Uh, and kind of just, <laughs> especially, you know, since, you know, having a lot of friends who went to you as local bands here when you first started recording, I've kind of been yeah. able to see the progression of what you've been able to do over this, you know, 10 years or so that you've been, you know, being a producer. And I remember, like, the Plea for Purging, bands like that, like, that seemed to kind of be the realm of bands you worked with, so I wasn't really that surprised by anything you were doing. And it honestly was that Color Morale record where I was like, oh, shit, like, I, there's just something about this as a whole where I feel like you turned a corner. And I don't know if, again, I don't know if that's just me or as the listener, if that's something that, like, you can even identify where you're like, yeah, there's something about that, like, where I just... I was, you know, a little more vocal in my approach to, to, you know, helping the band or, you know, as you were saying, like with King, like, you know, kind of co-writing or helping in the writing process yeah. or whatever. Yeah, we did. That was a long process. I think we ended up spending like eight weeks, eight or nine weeks on that album, two, over two sessions. We did a lot of writing in the studio as well. And um, I remember, I remember really chasing them down, hunting them down. <laughs> Because uh, I really wanted to work with Garrett, I was like, I was, I was, uh, I really liked what he was doing. But I just thought, like, I just, I didn't want to do another color morale record. What they've been doing, I wanted to do something that would showcase him more as a vocalist. Because I felt, like I said, I thought the dude was insanely talented. Um, and then I chased him down uh, for uh, a guest spot on the first In Hearts Wake album. So that got us working together, just so we could kind of feel each other's process a little bit, and just kind of, it's, it, it's trust. You know, I mean, it really comes down to trust. Is working with people when you work with a vocalist, they're going to perform the best when they trust you and they're able to open up and perform as opposed to be closed up. So, so getting to know them so they feel like they can trust you and they can really open up. That's a huge part of it. And, and yeah, um, Garrett's one of those guys that, you know, got along with him really well, the whole band, super nice dudes. And it was a lot of fun, but it was, it was a lot of hard work at the same time. You know, there's a, there were songs, that you know that I wrote for it that's that got scrapped that I was attached to and there were um songs that Garrett wrote that he was attached to that I threw out so there was a lot of really pushing we're really pushing to try and revitalize the band really I thought you know it's like I thought that they you know they had they had a much bigger future ahead of them especially Garrett you know I mean just as a great front man and and it's tough because he deals with depression and stuff, and he reminds me a lot of my brother in a lot of ways. So I think that was a way that we connected, you know, a lot. And um, there were times I know when the after the album was done, he was still really depressed and stuff, and dealing with the issues that he was talking about on the album. And he was he called me one time and he was like, "Yeah, I'm gonna quit the band, man. I just don't want to do it anymore. I had to talk him off the ledge a little bit." Um, but that's like the real process 
I think, and that realism came out in that record, and that's something that I'm always very interested in. And like I said, is that storytelling and try to, you know, bring that out as much as possible. I think I've told and you. Sometimes the band doesn't. Sometimes the band doesn't have much of a story to tell. So then it's like, okay, what's the strength? Maybe it's just the tone of the dude's voice, or maybe um, the drummer's great, or you know what I mean. Just trying to focus on something that gives them an identity. But uh, ultimately, I like you know if there's some kind of tor- uh, story to tell, you yeah. know, it's, that's always the best. Yeah, I was going to say, it seems like a lot of the records that you work with, there's always a narrative behind it, whether it be like the most uh, recent In Hearts, what is it, a double album, I think? Uh, the yeah, double yeah. album where there's fucking heavy conceptual stuff going on between everything, the packaging, whatever. Uh, the Color Morale record yeah. being very heavy lyrically, as you know, you kind of were just saying. And I think I've said this to you, I know I definitely have said it to Garrett a couple of times that he's been through, but to me, honestly, I feel like that record that you worked on was probably the, that generation, although technically I guess I'm in that generation, but not at the same time. But I feel like it's this decade's Alive or Just Breathing, whether it ever gets that credibility or not. I really honestly feel oh, like sure. if you look at what Alive or Just Breathing was from a lyrical standpoint and kind of what it did for that band and for Killswitch and so forth i honestly feel like that's what that record is for you know that scene personally but yeah yeah i think it's uh i think it's uh i think it's a really an incredible record and a lot of it's timing too you know what i mean i think uh a big part of that was um garrett like i said going through what he did and writing having something to write about um it's a tricky thing you know what i mean like if you're a heavy band and you're screaming, it's like, what are you actually screaming about? Is it just because you're a fan? Is it because you're a fan of other screaming bands and you just want to do that? Or like, what's the actual content? What's the actual story you're trying to tell here? You know what I mean? So it's, there has to be a reason for it. And that's something that I'm always trying to figure out better, better ways to, to really bring that out as much as possible. But um, yeah, that's, I think it's a great record. It's one of those things where like, there's a lot of stuff I've done where it's just like, and I've learned this over the years is that you can make a great killer album, but if the timing isn't right, if the band isn't able to get the tours that they need to, if the public just isn't ready for it, you know what I mean? You could make the next uh, wall and it, it, won't, it won't matter if if there isn't an audience ready to receive it. And that can mean a bunch of things. I mean, like I said, the, the, the climate of the public consciousness might not be in the right spot. Um, and that's just something that I, that I always joke around with the King guys because I think their stuff is phenomenal. I think... Um, when you really compare it to the Slipknots and the Corn, in my opinion, I think David is a much better lyricist uh, than Corey Taylor or Jonathan Davis. Uh, I think he's phenomenal. I think he's leagues and bounds better than these guys, honestly. Um, but the timing, to me, it just isn't right for them just yet. And the uh, the um, the culture, the, the current uh, climate, and the trends just aren't quite lined up with them just yet. And I think um, they. Uh, they think and they put so many so much thought into the composition into the meanings and all these the symbolism that a lot of times lost on people a lot of people just like to turn on the radio and just sing along to something very surface and there's that's great there's a whole art to that too i love um working on that kind of thing that's something i want to get more into is working on pop stuff have you done anything like, with pop stuff um there's some there's a few projects that, that i'm you know, dabbling with and stuff, and it's just it's a it's a whole different interesting set of problems to solve versus let's say an Alistair Hennessy record. <laughs> you know what I mean? But they're they're all still related in some ways, and it's just I always find I like because what I will learn from working on pop, I can apply to you know I know a hardcore record, or I could apply to these other things. And I'm always trying to be more well rounded 
as just a student of the art of music and try to figure out ways, what lessons can I learn from this, these people that I worked with and apply it to these people because maybe this is something that they would, this is an idea that they would go for. Or, you know, and certain things don't work with other people. So it's, um, it's very much a people business. It's very much balancing um, a way to bring out, you know, the character from the people you work with as much as possible. And like I said, like one idea, we'll, we'll work with somebody and not somebody else. Um, shit, I had, I had, a, I had a question, but I thought we were going to keep going there for a minute. <laughs> um, what are... I guess, actually, let's uh, talk about your talent search, actually, because I think that's a really cool thing that you're doing that I don't really see oh, yeah. a lot of uh, a lot of producers that are in your boat kind of doing. What made you decide to want to... Actually, let me back up just a second. So for those who may not know, Josh, every year, uh, for the last two years now, has been doing a uh, talent search of sorts to have bands of any size, any genre, whatever, send him music, and then... You'll go through everything and then pick a band that you'll give. Is it like a, a free week or just basically like a a set amount of songs yep. or whatever? I don't I don't really know. I don't remember the parameters. Yeah, usually it's like it. about a week of time. Okay. Um, and it, it, obviously the um, one of the prerequisites or one of the disqualifiers would be is if you're a signed band, you got to be an independent band. And uh, a band, you know, what I mean, if you if you if you're independent and you've been to a really good studio, then it, and you've done work with a good producer. I mean, that's another thing where it's like, well, maybe I, maybe they really found their sound, and I don't really, I don't know if I can contribute to this or not. Um, but yeah, definitely unsigned bands um, that are good, but the, again, their timing maybe isn't there, and maybe that's something I can help them with is getting them in front of the right people. You know, by putting out, you know, helping them sculpt their sound a little bit, and then you know, seeing what I can do as far as you know, shopping it around, if you know, if that's right for them or not. So, you've been doing that though for the last two years, and yeah. I think it's. You always say like, "Oh, I'm you know a week into submissions, blah blah blah." Really digging the like what, what kinds of do you get? Literally a, a gamut of like everything. Are you getting like hip hop stuff? Are you getting? Yeah. Are you? What? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Most of you know, most of the stuff is probably you know falls in the heavy side of things because that's you know a lot of the stuff that I'm that I guess I'd be known for. But there's a lot of indie stuff. There's you know, rock. There's um, uh, done some country stuff. Uh, I mean, as long as it's good to me, and a lot of times I usually favor the stuff that I haven't really worked on before. That's why Alice Janice stuck out to me the first year as a band. It's like, oh, these guys definitely are doing something really cool, and um, and it was really cool actually. I think it was like last month they finally got an. an uh, an article in AP magazine, and they actually mentioned the the talent contest. I'm like, oh, that's really cool. So, so it's a, it's a nationally pub- published uh, contest now, which is kind of wild. But that was kind of the that's really the goal. That was really the goal is is find bands that don't have the the means, or they don't have you know what I mean. Like they're just in a situation where the talent's there, but maybe the money to get into a good studio isn't or they just yeah they haven't found their timing or they're maybe they're just one little element away from finding their right sound uh, or maybe they recorded somewhere and it was just overproduced you know what I mean and, and really it was it was taking away from some of their stuff um, so yeah the, yeah that's kind of the goal I guess of that talent search it's just it's just a, a way to give back because I I literally never recorded in another studio besides my own I just never could afford it growing up 
starting out and stuff. I record all my old band stuff. Just I just have the money. <laughs> so um, it's a bit, a bit of a way to give back to the people, I guess, like me who just couldn't, you know, you know, scrape up the change to do it. Are you finding in with the submissions you're getting, uh, and you kind of alluded to it a little bit right there with saying that like, you know, you used to record all your own band stuff. In today's you know world where a lot of bands have you know home recording setups and so forth, are you sometimes surprised at how good some of these dem- demos can be from bands and to where you're kind oh, of like, absolutely. what was that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I get a lot of good pre-production stuff these days that makes it. Um, it's a good way to get a, an idea of what the song, what they're trying to do with it, for sure. Yeah. Have you found though that maybe the opposite of of that applies, where maybe when you're trying to tell someone like, oh, maybe we should do this or something more studio based, that maybe people aren't as willing to let you like to give let go of the reins because they think they know what they're doing since they're the producer. Oh right? yeah, sure. I mean that's I mean that's completely independent of being able to record yourself. Really, I think that's just. Um, I used to be that. That's funny because I used to be that control freak in a lot of ways. I mean, I, I, I guess they would still can, uh, maybe define myself as a bit of a control freak, but especially when I was younger, writing material, I was very sensitive about somebody wanting to change it and stuff. And then I look back, I'm like, oh yeah, it would been great. Would have been great to work with a producer because they would have told me, you know, to trim certain things because I listened back to old like the Besieged stuff, and it's like. I mean, it's fine for, at the time when it came out. It's it, it was fine stuff, but I think to myself, well, you know, it could have been this. I could have focused more on vocals here and, and done a lot of things. But I wouldn't go back and George Lucas it. It is what it is. And I'm, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm not in, embarrassed of it um, and that kind of thing. But um, it's a good lesson. It's a good lesson to learn along the way. It's a good reminder going back. It's like, yeah, it's just like you know, I was very protective of the stuff that I would write for and be very resistant to ideas. And then I see myself in some bands that I'll work with, and they'll write something, and they'll be very resistant because I'll tell them, it's like, man, this is a good song, but this lead that you're writing, there's a vocal going at the same time, and it's they're just fighting for attention, and one has to give. So if you're going to put vocals here, then that should be the main thing. If not, maybe some background thing and let the lead take over. But if if it's on a course, and that's what you're trying to do here then obviously the vocal needs to take front and center stage and then the lead needed to simplify or do something a little bit different with it. So, yeah. Um, uh, I'm not sure where we were going with that or how I was going with that. But, um, <laughs> have yeah, a... so yeah, it's part, yeah, taking control over um, yeah the recording. So you have a band that's recording themselves and what their control habits are or how reluctant they are to relinquish. Yeah, some bands are just totally open to whatever. And some are very much more like I used to be. Is we have very protective of stuff. Yeah, I, I get a wide variety. It's not black or white. There's a, there's a big gray scale of <laughs> of control freaks. You had talked about your. We've kind of mentioned your band, old band Besieged, which may or may not be active or inactive, uh, based on sometimes your socials that you post. Um, how at, at this point I, I feel like you're more known for being Josh of Random Awesome Studios and, and the production stuff that you've done is there ever a moment kind of like maybe like in you know again going back to what you had said about like kind of writing stuff with some of these bands or working with these bands is there ever a moment where people are kind of shocked that you, you can play like you know maybe, uh, like, maybe like you know there's a drum part and you're like well I'm thinking more like and then you just get behind the kit and kind of play it and they're like <laughs> holy shit you can fucking play drums uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's really, it helps to have a knowledge of, and I try to play as much as I can. I can play, 
I, know, I have some basic piano knowledge, but um, drums, guitars, um, and even working with vocals and stuff too. Uh, it's good to have, I think, that knowledge. Just, just like you know, it's good to have. I like have you know engineering knowledge and on what preamps to use or mics to use in different situations. Um, I think it helps understand the bassist. You know what what the bassist is trying to do, what the guitarist is trying to do. When you can play the instrument, you kind of understand. It's, you know, with drums as well. Drums to me are very important. Um, uh, you know, to me, like one of the second most important instruments, just because it is um, so ancient as well. It's it, you know a beat is is. Yeah, I mean, we all have a heartbeat. You know, we you are born with uh, those in, those kind of built-in rhythms, so that's also very important. But um, uh, I don't know if everyone's you know really that surprised. Uh, I think a lot of producers do play instruments and stuff like that, so it's not too crazy. Um, I'm trying to think of what was the other part of your question. I'm just kind of rambling on a little bit. Well, I was going to say, just like, you know, like, are people, like, because I'd imagine, like, like I said, most people probably aren't aware that you were in a band, unless they're from around this area, maybe, or from the tri-state area, I would say. Right, And yeah. know you more for being, you know, the producer, so I, I would just, yeah. I would like to think of them being casually, like, very pleasantly surprised, that, like, <laughs> when you're like, oh, like I said, like, hopping behind a drum kit, or, like, kind of coming up with a rhythm or whatever, and playing it, and they're just like, holy shit, you can actually play, because <laughs> I think, that, like, it gives them more, you know more of an appreciation when you give your opinion because people understand like you're not just a producer who can't can't play something it's like I, i'm remembering yeah. an, a minor clip from the black album home videos like from metallica and literally home videos uh of bob rock saying something he was like oh play it like this or play something like that and then uh james just like you want to fucking play it and i just remember being like Man, like, that's always stuck with me, like, in just any job I've ever had where I'm like, you know, if you're a boss or you're someone kind of in control and you're telling someone how to do something, within reason, you should probably be able to know how to do it before you tell someone right. to because, yeah, like, I don't know. I, I don't know if that's, like, a weird power thing, like, where I'm like, if you are telling me what to do, you better be able to fucking do it if I, because don't tell me how to do something when you have no clue what you're talking about. And I, yeah. I feel like that's an attitude that especially probably like, you know, I've dealt with uh, our youth of today and there seems to be a weird sense of entitlement or lack of respect for people uh, based on the knowledge they may have. So I just, you know, I can see that being a thing maybe like where, you know, you're trying to tell someone like, hey, I think it'd be better if you did this. I, I you know, I think this would make this sound better. And someone maybe just like, I would just love the, the idea in my head of someone be like, well, you fucking play it. And you're like, all right, fine, fuck you. And you do. And then they're like, shit, shit, shit. Like, <laughs> I didn't know you could play drums or, you know, play yeah, guitar I mean, or play this bass line or whatever. So, no, there's definitely been some times where I've, you know, done some uh, uncredited session work, let's say, on some album. <laughs> um, but, uh, I, you know, I used to be, again, I used to be more control freak and I would, I would get on the kit or I would grab the guitar and play parts I, I try not to do that as much anymore I'd rather just you know again let the the people play it themselves even if, even if you know what I mean because when you play guitar part if we can play the exact same thing you're going to play it different than I do so it's if I'm hands. playing all these parts on records they're going to start to sound the same yeah but um, no it, it's it's a, it's a good way to to again gain trust and um, work with somebody on things so if I can speak drummer language and I can tell them, oh yeah, you got to do a feel like this. You know what I mean? Da, 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 da. You know what I mean? Off the crash and here in China, this kind of thing. Oh yeah, we we know exactly what we're trying to say. 
Um, but if you don't play an instrument, it's, it can be hard to communicate. Like I know some, sometimes there'll be a vocalist and he'll, he'll have some like idea in his head about what the guitar thing should be doing. It's like, it's kind of like, he doesn't really know how to describe it. You're not really speaking the, the language. Maybe never played guitar before. Yeah. It can be very tricky. Um, which is actually kind of reminds me of, I worked with this Italian band years ago. They flew up from Italy and their English in emails I thought was okay, but their English in real life, because they must've been using translators was terrible. Was like that? I remember going to the airport. I didn't, I, I didn't know if I'd be able to find them. And, um, but the funny thing is music language is very similar. It doesn't matter what language you speak. So it's just like, Oh, it's like that, 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 you know what I mean? Like, so it was very easy. I was kind of worried at first, but I was really surprised that when it came down to describing what needed to happen musically, it was no problem. There was no language barrier there whatsoever. So that was kind of an interesting learning experience. What was the name of that band? Because I feel like that was the band Rush brought down here to film yeah, a video. Yeah, that was them. Um, and they had Jason Wood were, uh, do that, the guest vocal. Yeah, yeah, dude. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Before, before Today Collapse, I think was their name. Okay. <laughs> I told them to add an S. I told them to add an S on Collapse. That ah. would make it a little bit more sense, I guess. Yeah, okay. English-wise. But they were cool. Yeah, they were cool, dude. That's funny. I was like, that That story sounds familiar. Where have I heard it? And I was like, oh, wait. Yeah, that yeah. One. yeah. <laughs> um, what kind of, and maybe you kind of brought this up with saying that like you kind of started getting in production, just working, you know, on your own bands because you didn't have the money to do it. But what made you like, what made you change, kind of turn the corner and, and want to pursue it as more of a, a profession as opposed to just it being a hobby or a necessity for your own your own band? Um, I guess that for the good last year, maybe even more when I was playing in the band. I just didn't like it. I just didn't, I didn't like Didn't performing. like playing? Or being in no, the No, I, I, I didn't like, I was just, I would focus too much on the mistakes and just like the touring. I would just be like, just drenched with sweat and then you're loading drums off the stage and you don't know where you're gonna shower the next day. And I just didn't really, it was fun. I liked traveling. I liked hanging out with my friends. That was, that was fun. Um, I like, you know, seeing new cities and stuff, but I just, there was a lot of things. I just missed being at home and kind of just a homebody and just a home bum. I don't like, I don't like going out very often, um, but I always liked the recording process. I thought it was always fun making the record, like seeing a song that you have in your head and actually coming to life and there it is. Okay, and now I gotta play the same damn song, you know, the whole summer, you know, the next few years. So that part to me was like, I, I don't know, a, a big part of me, like when I was younger, is like I always wanted to like, be in a band and put out an album and see it on shelf somewhere. And then when we finally did that, I remember going to FYE and going to Hot Topic and seeing her album on the shelves. Like that's really cool. And I was like, okay, well now what? Because to me, the luster of playing live, and I knew that of course when you're playing live at the markets we were playing, which is pretty small. But once you once you start playing bigger ones, it's more more fun. Obviously, playing arenas is you know the ultimate goal, and that'd be a lot of fun. But um, I guess I'm just more of a homebody. I always enjoyed the, the recording process. And I remember one tour we were on, and there was a it was out on the gun. They were I think on Torque Records, and we we were um, playing with them. And they'd heard the album that I did, and they're like, "Hey, dude, do you want to do our album?" Because this is the first time anybody that I didn't know came up to me and asked me to do a record. And um, and they're like, "Yeah, we have a label, and this is our budget. So can you do?" It? I'm like, "Oh shit, I can." <laughs> this is like better than wanting to get paid for my job. <laughs> I can make that, that, that's great. So the light bulb kind of went off in my head. I'm like, this is what I want to do. This is a lot of fun. And over the years, um, writing with bands and stuff too, I feel like 
that's where I get my inspiration is working with different people. So whereas like, if you're working, if you're just doing your own thing and your own thing and your own thing, and there's a lot of things I can do, but um, I feel like working with a lot of bands, that they'll bring in, a, a, every band is a different perspective. So when they walk in, there's a whole new set of rules that you're dealing with, a whole new set of individuals. And it's a different challenge, let's say if you're writing with them, okay, so what do they like, what don't they like? And it's really interesting, and you have a different vocalist, so there's gonna be a whole different story being told on top of it, so it's it's a way to channel that creativity, but it, it really changes it up, you know, month to month, and that, I just find that really, it's just, you know, it's, it's fun <laughs> at the end of the day. Um, kind of wrapping up, I'll ask you last, these last few questions. Yeah. Um, what has... Let me see if I can. I I always do this thing where I'm like, oh, my last few questions, and then like every question's like five parted. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, what has been like? What what song? Like I guess record or song? What's the? What, that's what I'll just say. Is there a specific song where you have where you can kind of look at it and kind of say as of now like? that you look at and you're like, this is like my favorite song that I've ever produced, like for, from, you know, a drum tone that you've gotten on something to remembering like what it took to get that specific vocal take to whatever, or are you more, and I'm assuming this is going to be the answer, or are you more of like, it's, it's an album, not pieces of songs or whatever. And it's a, it's a whole album process and that's how I look at things. But then I kind of just move on when that, that record's done. You know, so I'm not lingering on it for the next project. I guess I still asked a couple of questions in that. Yeah, yeah, I, I think yeah, I know what you're. I think I know what your what your questions after. Um, yeah, that's a tough. That's a tough thing to think about because there's so many different things and different. Um, yeah, yeah, you're definitely right. I think of it more like albums, and there's obviously standouts on each record that you know that I will like personally. Um, and there's definitely some that I'll look, you know, listen back and be like, ugh. <laughs> where I just like I did something and maybe in the mix or maybe just like you know I mean and that's that's just human nature you know what I mean like we're just programmed to constantly you know critique you know the things that we've done and try to improve on it but I also like to you know okay what are the good things too because you, you can learn from that just as much as the things that you didn't do well and um, and it's tough it's that's a tough there's, there's definitely some albums where you know what I mean where they're definitely cornerstones or different things or like okay wow like this is a really I feel like I really stepped it up on this one, you know, like the Calmer Allen or like In Heart's Wake, like the King stuff, uh, Plea for Purging or Alistair Hennessy. Um, there's, um, there's a lot of stuff. Yeah, it's, it's just a lot of little micro improvements in trying to, you know what I mean? It's, like, it's really like anything that you do over a long period of time is try to, like I said, try to analyze both the good and the bad and try to you know, improve from that. But yeah, it's, it's hard to say I'm trying to think of stuff I mean, I'm biased because, like I said, depending on stuff, like, I'd say writing-wise, the stuff I've been, you know, having the most involvement in writing-wise is the new King stuff, like that, so, of course, I'm biased to that, um, and it's fun because, you know, they're open to anything, there's no, you know what I mean, like, there's, there are rules, but they're very loosey-goosey compared to most bands, um, so, oh, we can do a jazz song, oh, we can do electronica, we can do orchestral, we can do a heavy track, so it really it really allows me to exercise a lot of creativity in the writing and the production and the collaboration. So that the, that stuff to me is just you know a personal bias, just because I get the most freedom on it. But that's just that. But then again, you know, then working with 
let's say the Day Seeker. I just wrapped up a, an album with the band Day Seeker, stupidly talented band, and they had spent a lot of time recording themselves and getting it mostly figured out. So for me, it was mostly just trying to get just get the most of the vocals because he's incredible. One, of the, I put him in the top three vocalists I've ever worked with. Awesome, awesome, talented, talented dude. And I'm, you know, like I said, I just wrapped that one up a few days ago. Um, so, you know, very proud of how that one turned out. So to me, I'm like, okay. They've done a lot of the planning themselves. I don't need to step on this too much, but bring out the vocals as much as possible and really tie the production so that the songs really gel. Because they have a lot of, you know, I mean, starts and stops and transitions, and that can be a little jarring, but with a little production, it can kind of smooth it out and really, you know, feel a little more cohesive. Um, so that was a fun challenge working with them. Great guys. Really excited for that to come out for sure. But as far as the favorite goes, yeah, it might have to be. Yeah, some of that King stuff. <laughs> just because I'm biased because I wrote a lot of stuff on it. Kind of, actually. Just This wasn't a question I was going to have, but a question I just thought of. Uh, in light of the new Code Orange record coming out, and I don't know if you've listened to it uh, at all, or are very, you know, if Code Orange is on your, your radar. Um, yeah. Do you think a band like that having the success that they're having, as far as like kind of the boundaries they're pushing in the heavy, you know, the metal, hardcore, whatever kind of genre it is, throwing in industrial stuff, throwing in kind of like a 90s alternative tune in the middle of the record, having a lot, you know, clean singing and stuff like that and adding atmospherics. Do you think that that's going to allow a band like A King to reach more people because now there's another band that people are saying is the, the, the you know, the new kid on the block that's, you know, kind of changing the rules of what's acceptable and then thus allowing another band that's kind of been doing it for a while and pushing the boundaries but it just took that band oh yeah yeah it's it's one of those things I think um, it's again it's all about timing you know with the stuff that you're doing um, a quote that we like to joke about with the King guys is um, you know it's, it's a really Scott quote it's like if you're too far ahead of the curve it's the same thing as being too far behind the curve. You know what I mean? You're not getting paid either way. Right. <laughs> that was like a really Scott quote about making movies and stuff. And it's funny because it's very true because you look at a band, oh man, they're so far behind the times. You know what I mean? People can point that out because it's already happened, but you can never point out a band really in its time and say, oh, those guys are way too far ahead of the curve. Now, you can say that 10 years ago, maybe, oh, look back at this band, dude, they were way ahead of the thing. So I, I definitely see them, if I had to predict one way or the other, that yeah, very influential. And, you know, you know, I think, uh, I think with Code Orange, I think it's, you know, not too bold to say that they're, they're taking some ideas from the King stuff. You know what I mean? No question about that. Um, and it's one of those things, you know, it's, uh, it, that's just the way, you know, music works. It's, you know, constantly influencing other things and figuring out, you hear something, inspiration that comes from here will influence that thing. Um, you know, just cause Code Orange doesn't really sound anything like King, but you no, know, no, maybe no. some people can draw comparisons, but no, it's, it's always interesting, or even like, I remember hearing, what was it, Parkway Drive, what was the song, and it was like, that was a direct rip-off of Right About Us, I'm like, wow, these guys are King fans, and they're not even, they're not even gonna hide it. Well, that's like, so I kind of made that comment to, I was gonna say, I had made that comment uh, last week when I was talking with TJ from Stilly, uh, yeah. how hard is it to, to see bands that are kind of doing a, a thing that you started or were kind of on the ground oh, yeah. groundswell of and then it's like and they you, were. Got, you got like you know so much fame out of it but now here we are 10 years later and like you know doing what they were doing 10-15 years ago 
locally and then on the national scene is now like the thing a lot of bands are doing and it's like it's kind of got to suck to see that and be like fuck like just like you're saying we were eight years too early even though what yeah, they were does, doing yeah, was kind of derivative of absolutely yeah still remains the devil wears product <laughs> directly would not exist without still remains there's no question about that i mean they'll say it themselves um <laughs> you know they, they paved the way you know what i mean they they, they put out the blueprint that devil wears product essentially just took and ran with so um yeah no it's, it's always interesting i mean that's something that i've learned to be at peace with because i remember i used to put out records and I'm like this is a great record i think it's great why isn't it doing well and i thought is my opinion wrong am i just do i not just know what i'm talking about and then you realize that no it's just timing it's you know individuals in the band can't get along this you know what i mean there's so many factors like making an album is a lot of ways such a small part of it um the success of a band but um yeah what are we talking about um no I, oh I, yeah we were talking about uh well before i brought up the code orange thing you were you were discussing uh you know the difference between uh like what you're mo- like you know if you're most proud of a song or whatever and then you were kind of discussing yeah. more about like how you approach it as as a as a whole as opposed to the parts or the sum of the parts that make up the whole um but that you're definitely able to uh you know like a certain song out of that you know out of that session or whatever or out of that album cycle or cycle that's more of the touring side of it but regardless <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um <laughs> I guess, uh, lastly, I'll ask this just because it's a fun question, and we were discussing it before we actually were on the recording. So you um, recorded a couple of covers, uh, most recently, and kind of tying it back to wrestling a little bit, uh, you did the Legend cover of uh, Fire Inside by Killswitch. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which was a CM Punk and Kane's theme, surprisingly. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how you could get away with having the same theme song, th- intro music to two different people, but Rest whatever. Yeah. And then you did the Color Morales version of Everlong. Yep. And you had talked about another artist from Kalamazoo who had done an Of Montreal cover, I guess, uh, that I'm not familiar yeah. with personally. Uh, I think it was I'm Coming Home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was um, a band called Your Highway Home. Okay. A bunch of you know local kids from uh, Kalamazoo. And they were always fun to work with. You know, it's just like I was starting out and they were starting out. We were kind of learning a lot of stuff together, I think, back in those days. But, um, yeah, I've done a bunch of other cover stuff just on my own. I'm talking about doing, uh, right now, doing some cover albums, you know, pretty much an album that has going to have a bunch of covers on it. Um, so that's always something fun to do and try to put your own twist on it. Well, I was going to say, how, when you approach it, because, like, I think at least, like, with the two that I'm more familiar with, the, uh, the Kill Switch cover and then the, uh, Foo Fighters cover. Yeah. As a huge Foo Fighters fan, I, I feel like not many liberties can be taken with any of their songs because I, I just think they're perfect the way they are. Uh, so, I mean, you kind of touched on it just a second ago, but when you're doing a song, especially like that one, where you're doing perhaps the most influential song, in, in my opinion, of like the last 20-some-odd years, like the song as a guitar player, Everyone Fucking Learns, a song that everyone the knows. Thing. Yep. The drummers all play it. Yeah. Yep. So I mean, at that point, it's like, how do you approach that to where you even? I guess with that, how do you even get the balls to even remotely decide that you're going to add anything different to it to give it its own spin? I guess the way I always look at it is, you're not going to top the original in the way it's performed. Some with some songs. 
there's two different ways to do it. There's, there's, there's either you do it better than the original, or you take the original and you try to put your own spin on it, either break it down or adapt it just more for the band. Try to be respectful about certain elements that people expect on it, but also try to make it unexpected and within the realm of the of the band itself. That one was done in a day. I remember we had one day to do it. We just didn't have a whole lot of time. Uh, I probably would have done it a little bit different in hindsight, but considering the amount of time we had to do it, um, I thought it turned out pretty cool. And I think, um, I remember specifically the ending of the song, it's just Devin and Garrett in the vocal booth. One mic, just him playing on acoustic and Garrett singing along. I'm like, that's cool. That's a kind of fun way to end the song that to me is, brings out the character of Colin Morale. And uh, I remember there's like, I think in the original Foo Fighters song, I think Dave is reading like a letter from his ex-wife or something like that in the bridge. And I think it was weird because as Garrett was recording vocals, he's like, dude, I got a, a letter right now from my ex in my pocket. Like, I did not plan this. This is actually true. So he ends up reading that during the bridge. So I'm like, ooh, that's a spooky coincidence. Is that actually so, what's going uh, on in that? Because I've always wondered what that is in that bridge. Yeah. Huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. I was like, "Whoa!" Because I just I learned we were learning about that as we were um, recording the song and stuff. I'm like, oh, "I didn't know that." And then, and then the guy's like, "Whoa, wait, wait a second. So that was just like <laughs> a weird, like you said, spooky Friday the Thirteenth kind of coincidence kind of thing. But um, no, it's cool. It, it, it's one of those things where like, yeah, wish I would have had more time to work on it. You know what I mean? It was like right before Christmas break, so we didn't have a whole lot of time. It was kind of a last minute thing where Fearless was putting out the comp and they were getting on it. And we're like, cool. It just it just worked out where things line up. We could at least do it in a day and get it done. But uh, I think they, they they did a good job with it. And um, yeah, I wish I would have had probably a little more time to just to spice it up a little bit more, play with some expectations on it. But then again, that was years ago too. And I just feel like looking back on it now, yeah. Again, I don't want to George Lucas at some of that. No, the the. The legend cover of the Kill Switch song was that more because ever well at least Chad, uh, their vocalist, and you and are wrestling fans and wanted to do it because like oh shit it's like CM Punk or wrestling related or because you like that song to cover. No, that was DL's. No, no, I think DL picked that one out. Actually, Chad's here right now. I don't know. Hey Chad, whose whose uh, choice was it to do that Kill Switch cover? Was that DL? I'm not sure if he's listening. He's <laughs> Should ask him if he wants to be on my podcast. I was actually going to ask him uh, soon if he was listening. Yeah, no, no, he'd, I'm sure he'd be down. Um, uh, yeah, I don't, that was mostly done. Like, he DL did all the instruments and stuff and he recorded it. I just ended up doing the vocals on their latest one, the the LGND one. Okay. That was, that was mostly DL on that, yep. Okay. No, I, I had wondered, because I know Chad's a big wrestling fan, I know you're a big wrestling fan, as we discussed earlier, so when that came out, I was like, well, of fucking course that was the cover they chose, because <laughs> it's, you know, associated, the only other one I think would have been more funny and interesting to see if you would have taken the approach on it would have been uh, Cult of Personality. Oh, God, yeah, hell yeah. Like, that would have been interesting. Or even the uh, Disturbed take on uh, Broken or Shattered Glass or whatever Stone Cold. Oh, my God, dude. <laughs> that would be awesome. That's a great idea. Uh, that's such a terrible... Like, I I hate Dan Donegan's, like, guitar on that. Like, on the... At least from how it sounded on... Like, when he'd come God, in. That's awesome. Because he would do that, like, shitty wah over it, and you're just like, ugh. Like, I don't know. There's something about Stone Cold's music just as it was that I loved. 
And when they were doing that, oh, yeah. they were... As it was, it's untouchable, but yeah. if you're going to put some uh, some disturbed stank on it, to coin a phrase, <laughs> uh, I think that was I think that was cool. I liked it because it was like heel, and it was... Because that was like when he was a heel, yeah. and that little wad just made it sound gnarly. I'm like, yeah, this is cool. <laughs> I just remember at that point, they were trying to like get away from their own sound guys or their own like you know musicians that were doing the themes yeah and then they started doing like real like bands doing the themes like i think uh fuck like because at that point that was when uh we had the undertaker with uh american badass or whatever that kid oh yeah rolling oh that was the other one yeah yeah yeah, Chris Benoit had, uh, was it, uh, did you, Our Lady Peace? Because that's a Canadian band. Oh, and also Finger Eleven, which is another Canadian band. Yeah. 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 But that was like I a weird thing. Like they, they tried Jericho. to go more mainstream artists covering what they had already done to give uh, the wrestlers themes, which I I enjoyed, but I also kind of hated. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, I definitely feel that way about it. <laughs> um, last question. What, uh, uh-huh. fuck. I always do this. I always have the last question, and then I, I blank because I'm, I'm I have too many things with words on them, and I'm like reading them as I'm looking around, thinking, and then I just totally shit the bed and forget. Um, what uh, looking back at your career, what are you most proud of? Is it running your business the way that you've wanted to, and being able to do that as you? Let me ask that better. Do you look, do you, doing what you've done with your producing career, are you more proud of the fact that you've been able to kind of do it all on your own DIY with really no outside interference and kind of doing what you want, when you want, how you want to do it, within reason, obviously? Uh, yeah. Or the cali- like the record, like being able to put out records that are, you know, more main- mainstream-ish, like where you can kind of get them readily anywhere like being able to kind of have the name of being a producer like on bigger records are you more proud of what you've accomplished in that realm as far as like the talent like the talent you're working with um uh, i'm just glad i get to make money for or you know (laughs) doing the thing that i enjoy doing i just i just feel like uh you're just kind of getting away with this until someone figures out, like, hey, man, you got to get to work. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's um, obviously getting a name out there, you know, that was one thing, actually, that I was always surprised by with the band that I was in, because we were never that big, but I always get recognized when we go out. And I didn't really care for that. I don't, I don't, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know you, like, don't come up to me. Like, that, <laughs> you, you appreciate it for it. But it's just, like, weird. It's always strange. It's always a strange a sensation I just never really cared for. So it's funny because I've done, I don't know, 50 records since then, those days. And I never get recognized in the street, and that's fine. That's fine. As long as artists and other people that, that I would like to collaborate with know who I am, that's cool. That's fine. Because um, every record's kind of like this message in a bottle that you're sending out there, hoping that other people get what you're trying to do and understand and, and find value in what you do and want to work together. Um, yeah, for for me, as long as you know, what I mean, as long as you know, it pays the bills. That's fine. Um, that allows me to focus on this. But uh, yeah, I'm you know, obviously very proud of being able to do it on my own. I've dabbled with management a little bit. I've never really cared for it. I think I'm just more organized than most um, bands or producers, for that matter. Uh, my wife has a big uh, hand in that as well. So um, 
how has so that I, I been tried. actually? What's that? I said how how has that been? Because I know like with me picking up doing this a lot more the the podcast that is, you know, like it takes a lot. Like my wife has to be really understanding, and like you know, I've gotten a desk calendar now, so when you know, if I'm going to yeah. be doing something, she can kind of see like what my week's going to look like or who I'm talking to when and, and kind of plan like yeah. gym time and stuff like that around it. How hard is that? Like how uh, hard think, was I it? Because we start off in a long distance relationship. We were both very independent people where it's like, if you're able to make a long distance relationship work, you're obviously not a very needy person that needs to be, you know, with somebody all the time. And she was, your reason why attracted me to her is she's very artistic as well. So we had a lot of stuff in common. And um, so then when we first came out here, and then I got involved in band stuff, so I was always involved with something. But she always had her own projects going on too. So there was never, you know, I know some people, they struggle because maybe the person they're with doesn't really have much of a hobby. Maybe the, the person they're in the relationship with is their hobby, so when they're gone, it's like, you know what I mean, they're missing, which is fine, you know I mean? You should always be with somebody you're very, you know, your best friend essentially is the way I look at it. You're whoever your relationship with, I don't care who it is or what it is. It should be your best friend. Um, so yeah, we've been best friends since late nineties really. So we've been married like it's going to be 16 years this year. And, um, she's been, yeah, super supportive, always there, you know, to help out with organizing, organizing. Cause that's a huge thing. It's, you know, keeping, you know, with my schedule, I make up my own schedules, but it's like paperwork stuff, taxes, looking over contracts. I've hired an entertainment lawyer once, and then she kind of looked at it and read through the emails of back and forth. She's like, oh, yeah, I can do this. So um, it's it really helps out a lot. And it keeps me efficient. Like management to me is always very inefficient because you're talking to someone who really, really is somebody else. Yeah, and it's just I, I don't feel like I've ever really needed that. Um, or besides, you know, obviously, you know, with my wife, she helps out with that kind of stuff. But um, so it keeps me light, keeps me mobile. It keeps me having a direct relationship with labels and bands and stuff, which is which is good. And their managers, if they have managers and stuff. So, um, but I mean, maybe someday I'll get involved in management. I don't know. It just has to be the right the right kind of deal. But I, I like being independent for sure. Um, but as far as yeah, what am I most proud of? Um, it's it's yeah, that's that's a that's a tricky question. It's a little bit of all the things that you were kind of talking about because obviously yeah being able to be independent is a is something a nice feather in the cap putting out great records is, a, is also a great feather in the cap um yeah it's um it's really about yeah building a name because you're only kind of as you know you know as good as the records you put out and um you know i'm only as good as the the people that i work with you know unless i'm putting out my own if i'm putting an album that has my name on it Sure, then it's just me out there, but when I'm working with a band, you know what I mean? It's like their name is the one really on the line. Sure, my name's on it, but they're the ones that are really taking the risk and really putting out their material. So I can only be as good as, as they are. So it's in all of our best interests that I bring them up to the highest level as possible, and they do the same with me. And, they, and we, you know, the best records are always, you know, a definitely collaboration of everybody kind of pushing each other. So I guess that's I guess I didn't really answer your question, but it just kind no, of I like mean, it, it did. I mean, I know I, when I asked it, I kind of realized how hard it may be to differentiate. But to me, sometimes like you know, listening to some of the other podcasts and like listening to uh, the one I sent you with uh, Ross Robinson, uh, and I don't know if yeah. you actually got a chance to listen to it yet or not. But uh, no, no, I did not. No, um, no, like you were saying, alluding to earlier, yeah, definitely a big influence. I always liked a lot of his stuff because he was able to channel 
that emotion. I don't throw things at the bands that are here. <laughs> I was going to say that. I, I try to just, you know, same end result in a lot of ways, but just different approach. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, definitely a big influence for sure. Yeah, because uh, in listening with that, like, it sounds like to a degree he kind of is very much what you were saying where somebody kind of does something very similar. Like, a lot of his records have kind of the same sound uh, in as much as they are kind of a raw-sounding record. Uh, mm -hmm. But when you hear one, you can kind of go, oh, this sounds like tinged. Like, I didn't know that he had been working on this new Suicide Silence stuff, but when I heard that new song, I was like, this sounds like Ross Robinson had his hand on it or someone was trying really hard to be Ross Robinson. So then when I found out that he was doing that record, I was like, ah, oh, see, didn't know. But That's I funny. I never even thought about it until you brought it up. I'm like, that does make perfect sense now that now that I think about the songs and the sound of it. Yeah, definitely. Like, there's he has that thing. And like you were saying, like you, you notice it and you know it's him if you pay enough mm -hmm. attention to, to the little things that he typically does uh, in his production. But that being said... Uh, he something he was mentioning was that you know like he just like you said he feels like he's getting away with it because you know it's a job it doesn't seem like it should be a job and that he has fun doing it and so forth yeah but yeah exactly. on the same token you know when he was kind of asked something about that like you know looking back all the you know 20 some odd years later of your production career like what do you, what are you most proud of and something he kind of said was like you know i'm just kind of proud that like i kind of get to I get left alone and i get to work with these bands that i'm fans of and get to do what i want to do and don't really have like a whole lot of like outside thing and it kind of made me wonder since you're in kind of the same boat like i said where is it more like you don't have and granted i understand like labels or whatever will probably say like we need it to be this long or blah 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 like there's there's obviously notes probably that get handed down to you through a label or a label head that like hey we'd like these things to be there or whatever maybe not sure. but still in the grand scheme of things like you had mentioned you don't have management and i know for I think all of maybe a week <laughs> you had management for about a week. And then you're like, no, I don't have management anymore. Don't contact them. Contact me still. Uh, so it seems like you definitely, like I said, take pride in the fact that you are very hands-on with everything. When you do that talent search, you are the one listening to everything. You're not having somebody else listen to it and give you what they think is the best. And, you know, I would feel like that would be something to really, you know, hang your head on. Like I, everything yeah, I've got, I did it my, I did it my way. <laughs> what was that? Coming through. Yeah. I said that's that control freak part of me still coming through. <laughs> yeah. But um that was it really. Well, uh, think, do you have any any socials or anything you want to plug and how people can find you? Nah. <laughs> that's very typical of you. Leave me alone. <laughs> Leave you alone. Yeah, that's why I was surprised you agreed to do this. I was like, wow, he's actually going to uh be somewhat social. <laughs> <laughs> it's a rare a rare occurrence. Yeah, I think this will probably be the Actually, I think it was, shit, what was that Dirt Fest we were at together? Like, that was like, what, three, four years ago at least at this point? Yeah. So, usually I see you about maybe oh. once every six years. <laughs> yeah, yeah crawl, come crawling out of the cave. <laughs> <laughs> One of these days well, I'll get you down I, here and we'll go to a couple of the whiskey bars we have that opened up. <laughs> I think my battery's starting to, to die here a little bit, so yeah. I should probably get going before I get cut off. No, that's fine. In the middle of a sign-off, but... Um, yeah, man, I really appreciate you um, reaching out. You know, obviously, you know, known you for a while and stuff, so it was really cool. No, thank you. Uh, um, favors all on my end. That's cool, man. Well, enjoy the uh, rest of your day, and uh, hopefully, we'll hear some new stuff coming out of your studio very soon. That sounds good. Thanks, John. I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, all the best for the podcast. Yeah, enjoy the rest of your night, man. 
Thanks, man. You too. We'll see you. Thank you. So that was my chat with uh, Random Awesome Studios owner, uh, Josh Roeder. Um, typically when I do these podcasts, I like to end them with a, a song by the artist uh, that I have on. And while I would like to put a besieged uh, song on there, I thought I would do something a little bit different and, and have one of his songs that he's produced. Um, this is probably one of my favorite songs that Josh has, has worked on. Uh, it comes from the Color Morale record, No Hope, that he did back in 2013. Um, the song is called Save Yourself uh, off of that record. It's toward the, the latter end of the, the album as a whole. But with this, I just love the production on it. I always have. There's a lot of uh, stuff that he's doing in it with the uh, the, the reversed kind of guitars uh, in the very beginning, the nice little uh, guitar melody that opens the song. Um, there's just a lot of little nuances going on within this track. Um, and in the grand grander spectrum of everything, uh, kind of like Josh had said with, uh, you know, how he likes to look at, the story and album, the, the narrative of an album is kind of shaping up to tell. Um, with this album as a whole, I feel like a, every song, especially the latter half, really has like a small intro or something that kind of fades it into the next song. Um, something I've always been a, a fan of that just kind of makes a record feel like a record. Um, and this is uh, one of the standout songs to me, just, you know, kind of lyrically and... and like I said, production-wise, just there's a lot going on, and I think if you listen to it with a good pair of headphones, like you can really hear the work that Josh and the band put into into this song, uh, and really the record as a whole. Um, there's so many great things that Josh has done over the over the last ten years, um, whether it be the Heartsick record that he just put out with them, uh, their self-titled record, um, to the double album uh, that he did within Hearts Wake, which is just a very phenomenal record uh conceptually production just everything there's so much to take in um that keeps bringing you back and and to me that's the thing that i love about josh's uh music that he produces is that uh he it, there's just something about what everything he puts his his fingers on that there's he just always goes back for repeated listens and there's always something new that you find um, a little effect, a little something, and like I said, especially with a good pair of headphones or a good stereo system, you can just really hear all these little things uh, and accents that, you know, someone like Josh puts the, the time and effort into to putting in there for uh, the listener to just, you know, get lost in. So uh, I'm going to stop rambling and, and finally play the song. Uh, again, this is uh, Save Yourself by The Color Morale off of uh, the record that he did with them, No Hope. No Hope. 